Welcome to AWS She Builds Tech Skills with your hosts, Maya and May. Yes, so this month we have our lovely guest, Anjana. Uh, she's from Professional Services, uh, AWS Professional Services, but we'll leave the intro to Anjana and she's here to talk about all the great things about containers and uh, Kubernetes. How exciting. Some blueprints, but we won't spoil the fun. We'll, we'll let Anjana talk about it. So welcome, Anjana. Thank you. Thank you, May and Mai. And hello to everyone who is listening. Welcome, Anjana. Thank you for joining us. Um, we have got about quite a number of audience on the live stream. So anyone's on the live stream, uh, say hi, say, like, let us know where you are joining us from. Uh, myself and Angela are from Sydney and Mai, you are from? Up in Queensland. So, up in um, Queensland, the sunshine. Queensland. <laughs> Living the dream. <laughs> Living the exactly. So um, Angela, let's get started with a little bit about yourself, like um, who you are, what you do at AWS. Sure. So uh, I'm a, a senior cloud architect uh, with AWS. I've been with AWS for around two and a half years now. Um, I'm part of a team called AWS Professional Services. Um, so uh, in professional services, um, we are like a global team of experts who are working with uh, customers, AWS customers every day um, and working closely with them to execute their uh, um, uh, execute, uh, cloud um, initiatives. So, and uh, we uh, guide them with their cloud adoption journey and um, help them with their strategic business outcomes. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. Um, so you've been, how long have you been with AWS? Two and a half years now. Right. And, uh, and you've been with, uh, you've been cloud architect for two and a half years. Correct. And my, I'm just going to throw a question at you. So your solutions architect, this question come up quite often, solutions architect and the cloud architect. So uh, my gave us two minutes of, you know, what do you think of the difference between these two roles? Sure. So solutions architects are close what general or account solutions architects, as um, we like to call ourselves, are quite close to the customer on a day-to-day -day basis. So we help customers on solutioning for um, their day-to-day, -day. I guess they, we still deal with their projects, but we're more around, you know, what's the future state? Uh, if we talk about conventional terms, it's more of a pre-sales type of role, uh, yeah. whereas cloud architects, what I understand it to be, is more of a delivery-focused role yes. where yes. Uh, you'll be helping the customer implement the solutions Exactly. Yes, May. Just to add on to that, yeah, we come in for a specific initiative um, and uh, help the customer deliver that initiative. But um, we closely work with solution architects before we uh, um, engage with the customer because solution architects that have, have a better understanding of the entire landscape or entire mm -hmm. customer landscape because they have been with the customer and they look at the future roadmaps and uh, everything. So in order to align our solutions with customer roadmap and to design what is best for the customer, we usually work closely with solution architects to understand the customer landscape before we actually start the initiative. So that yes, is, that's a yeah. great explanation. And just want to give a shout out to uh, Angela Mikkeng from your professional service team. Oh, so you got a fan there. So I just put in the link. What is professional service? Um, the team that is helping customer to deliver deliver the project. That if that's right to say. And we also got Peter. I just want to give a shout out to Peter yeah. Hansons. Hello, Peter. We have met a few times virtually in person, but great to see you joining the show. Nice to see you again. And uh, Francisco as well. I saw Peter and Francisco last week as, at the Data Engineering News uh, Meetup. Oh, so did wow. a reinvent recap there. So uh, shout out to that go. community as well. And um, and Michelle is one of our, uh, our practice managers within AWS, and uh, she is one of the biggest proponents of women in tech. So kudos to her as well. So uh, hello, Michelle. <laughs> Awesome, Michelle. You got to come to our show next time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so 
like I want to shift the questions a little bit and Jenner to your career you've been in the tech for quite a while so talk us through how you get into the industry and um, you know what are your highlights during your journey sure yeah so when i was in uh, school um, like any other asian kid uh, or um, i would say asian nerdy kid i wanted to be a, become an astronaut um, but when i got my glasses <laughs> um, as i think someone in the family told me i need to have a perfect vision to become an astronaut <laughs> probably it might be mom, my my mom because she might she she, uh, she would have been scared because she will lose her lose me to space <laughs> or i might never <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> so, uh, but um, yeah, I didn't think much about it, and I thought, okay, so if not astronaut, what can I do? Uh, so then I slowly transitioned my dream to become a scientist and work for a space research organization and stay on Earth, basically. <laughs> so, the, I, I, and that dream continued up until my engineering. So during my final year um, in engineering, my final year project was to program. Um, um, uh, a temperature sensor for for a satellite and i briefly interned with uh, one of the scientists in indian space research organization which is equivalent of nasa so i briefly interned uh, interned with them for a couple of months uh, to do the pro project and uh, it was an exciting opportunity so when i thought all my space dreams were coming true uh, that's when uh, through an on campus recruitment uh, i got a job as a software engineer uh, with one of the uh, big multinational companies in India. And um, it was uh, uh, too difficult to reject that offer. And I took in. And here I am as a software engineer. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So from the space, um, the space programs, and then be a software engineer and now um, cloud architect. You're yes. still in the space. You're yes, still, still in the, in the cloud. Space, still in the cloud, very close uh, up there. So if I uh, talk about my further journey uh, so i've been in the industry for 15 years now so i started my career journey as a java developer like a web application developer mm -hmm. uh, mainly using java and a few years back i got an amazing opportunity to work with an application team who were already working in that devops model i mean at that time devops was not even uh, popular we didn't even know what devops was but this team was already operating in the devops model developing our own applications and you know operating and maintaining the application ourselves so uh, um, uh, we used to develop as well as uh, deploy these applications to the pr production and we were responsible for supporting it in production and i went through that pain of people sitting through at night to uh, do the deployments so um, our team as a whole we started thinking about okay how we can make this process you know, easy and that's where i started when i started writing ansible scripts and uh, my role slowly transitioned into being a DevOps uh, person. So, and then uh, since um, I got curious about AWS and I started exploring the um, AWS and uh, helped the team to migrate some of their applications to a cloud. And uh, about two and a half years back, I then I got an opportunity from to work with AWS to work with the mothership, and here I am. <laughs> That's really, that's really amazing. So like you got into the role without actually knowing that there is a role and it becomes like a devil's become a big thing these days. Yeah. Right? Like every yes. organizations um, are, have adopted into devils, but there are still a lot of uh, customers and organizations trying to migrate into a modern DevOps, um, the framework and architecture design. So that's, that's really impressive. You've got yes. um, ProServe team as well. Uh, Shilpa from uh, CA from Edwards Pro School. So that's amazing to see the team supporting and Jana. Yeah, I'm really appreciative of them. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, them. We, uh, AWS helps NASA too. And uh, my dreams, I'm still persisting with my dreams. One day, Blue Origin or uh, Blue the AWS Origin. Space there Wing. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. the next job. <laughs> now, um, now, speaking of DevOps, uh, you're here to talk about eCase Blueprints. Now, before we jump into the eCase Blueprints side of the fence, um, what for the folks that are on today that may not know much about containers, can you start off with the concept of, of why do we use containers? Why do we need containers? 
Yeah, sure. So if you think about the word containers in plain English, it is something that holds stuff together, right? Like a shipping container, which holds a lot of stuff together. So if you put that in a software context, uh, we have developers um, uh, creating mm -hmm. applications, building applications every day in their laptop. And to make these applications work, they need a lot of software, a lot of third-party dependencies and binaries that they need to um, they set up their laptop so that the application can work properly. So now think about taking this application from their laptop into a um, into an actual physical server um, um, for the organization. So you have to take it through uh, different environments like dev, test, and production. So and you, um, in order to set all these environments up, you have to redeploy all these dep dependency third-party libraries and binaries along with your uh, application uh, so that everything can work together. So that's where, um, uh, uh, and in now imagine a situation if you can put all these things together in a container that's, uh, that, that we call as an image, a container image, and then we can ship that image and progress that through different environments. So wouldn't that be the best scenario? So that's where uh, containers come in. So it helps developers to build their applications and deploy their applications quickly and help organizations to move in a faster, in an agile way and, um, go to market much faster right so basically you're saying that it helps developers um, yeah. innovate right on behalf of the organization yeah. uh it's uh, make it's make sure and that the application is portable and it's consistent across all the environments exactly and and you never uh, come into a situation where this works in my laptop but it doesn't work in production so but that, that we can avoid such situations because everything is packaged, all the dependencies are packaged and it is portable and progress. You can progress the same package through multiple environments. Just give me a second. Sorry, uh, my laptop is running out of charges. I just have to plug it in. Give me a second. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. all good. So, May, I'll ask you a question while uh, Anjan is hooking up a container. Uh, yes. Do your customers use containers much? Well, I have a well, a lot of customers who um, who use containers. They are a customer who wants to migrate from, you know, from their existing um, monolith applications or legacy application and moving into a containerized package application. So it has been a lot of conversations. Containers has been a big topic, um, especially around IKEA's like Kubernetes. So I think we should ask the audience um, about has anyone heard of Kubernetes or anyone using Kubernetes? Like, is anyone using Kubernetes in the chat? Just drop it in the chat. Or any kind of container. And I'm back, folks. That's right. Now, while we're waiting, we'll go back to Anjana. Um, I'm back. Awesome. Now, so we talked about containers and the benefits of using containers in, um, you know, whether you're a developer or for your organization. Now, um, what do we need to have? What is Amazon EKS, right? For those of uh, okay. those that don't know what EKS is. Right. So probably before going into EKS, I will quickly touch upon what Kubernetes is. Oh, um, and then, <laughs> uh, then it'll be easier to transition into EKS. Um, um, so um, um, containers, when I spoke about containers, it manages just one single application, right? Um, so it's a package we talk about, we spoke about a developer building an application and then packaging that application as a container. But if we uh, think about that in an organization level or enterprise level, there'll be hundreds or thousands of applications running. Uh, or if you think about a microservice architecture, uh, you have, I mean, it's not good to have a monolithic uh, architecture where there is tight coupling between services. So it all, it's always good to, to go towards a microservice architecture where you have different functionalities split into individual services so that you can manage them separately. So even a single application might have multiple services and you can then package these services to individual containers. Then there are hundreds and thousands of applications, so more containers. So now think about managing all these hundreds and thousands of containers manually in an organization and it will get over will 
So how about you? Um, so Kubernetes is nothing but an orchestrating mechanism, uh, something that manages your uh, containers uh, together. So it takes care of scheduling your custom containers onto physical servers. It makes sure that the, all these containers are running healthy, up and running. It also uh, helps you with scaling your containers based on the needs. So it does a lot of things. So uh, it is an orchestrator for your containers and it makes sure that um, it makes your job easy in managing your container platform, managing all your containers. So that's what Kubernetes is. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> On to the next concept. I just want to give a shout out to uh, Hal Fay from the ProServe team, another fan from ProServe yeah. saying hi. <laughs> <laughs> hi, Hal Fay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, there are a couple of questions here as well before we move on to the next topic. Sure. So containers versus microservices, what's the difference? So um, microservices is um, like a design pattern, like where you um, say if you have a monolithic uh, application, which you are having like a, um, uh, an application for a shopping uh, cart. So you have different, you are doing different um, things there, right? So you have a, um, a list of things that you want to sell. Then you have a shopping cart uh, where you can add what you want to buy and then you can place your order. So that's a different service, placing the order is a different uh, functionality of your application and then um, uh, managing your profile itself is a different functionality of that application so if you think about uh, holistically you have got multiple services within your application and if you um, package all of them as a single application and if you want to make a change on one specific module you will be impacting your entire application so it's usually good to split all these uh, individual functionalities of your application to independent services so that one is not impacting the other. You can easily make changes, deploy changes quickly. So that's what is a microservice architecture means. So now, um, now you have broken up your applications to three or four individual services. So they themselves are a single unit, which you can then deploy as their own, as its own containers. So um, a container is a way of how you manage your single service and deploy it across uh, different environments. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Thanks for that uh, intricate uh, that uh, explanation. Uh, and May, does, do your customers use microservices architecture patterns? Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I have to say it's one of the most... Uh, I guess it depends on the customer, but with my customer, it is pretty popular in the microservices and um, it's it just making like, like Anjana says, just make things easier in a way things are not depending, they can scale independently, they can ch make changes independently and the team who is managing it has more autonomy on things that they want to deploy, new features, block fixes. Um, they're not relying on each other in that sense. So um, has a, a big improvement in the agility uh, from the team culture perspective. So um, yeah, we have got quite a number of questions there. And before we jump on, Dale from um, AWS, uh, again, from the ProSurf, you've got a very strong <laughs> ProSurf team on the line. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you, ProSurf team, for all your support. I'm so happy. <laughs> There's another question. I think this is very interesting. Why is Kubernetes also known as K8? When you when oh, you type, you can write it like K8 on the command line as well. And that why why does it call K8? Probably number of letters in the word Kubernetes. So shortened it as K8. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Um, yeah. there, there you are, fan fart. Yeah. Who? Um, <laughs> That's a really cute cat, I have to say. <laughs> All right. So, um, so we talk about containers and, uh, you know, uh, we talk about Kubernetes. So now what taking to the next level, let's talk about EKS and what yes. is, what is EKS and yeah. How do we use in the container journey for the customers? Sure. 
So uh, when I spoke about Kubernetes, I spoke about a lot of things like Kubernetes has a big responsibility of managing and orchestrating all your containers. So uh, as I said before, it has to schedule your containers onto um, the physical servers. It has to make sure that it is utilizing the space in the physical service uh, effectively. Uh, it has to make sure that all your containers are healthy and up and running. It has to uh, take care of the um, uh, scaling of your container. So it has a lot of responsibility. So if you think about that, the, uh, the, uh, um, it has to be complex, right? The technology itself has to be really complex to do everything. So, um, and it is. Um, so I know people, um, uh, <laughs> they get uh, a bit uh, scared and uncomfortable uh, when they hear the word Kubernetes because it's, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a lot of, uh, it's, it's sometimes it's, uh, um, it's very hard to set up by itself. Uh, yeah. So, uh, um, and um, also Kubernetes have two main concepts. Uh, it has a control plane, which is the brain, which does all these functionalities. Like control plane itself has number of components within it, which helps Kubernetes to schedule the uh, containers to make, to keep sure it always keep, it's always watching all the containers healthy so it has the control plane or the brain itself has many components in it and then you have got a data plane which is just a group of uh, physical servers which are part of the uh, kubernetes cluster so the um, it uses kubernetes uses the data plane to schedule or to place all your containers or to run all your containers so when you think about uh, um, setting up a Kubernetes cluster or even upgrading your Kubernetes cluster, uh, you have to manage all these components. You have to upgrade all these components so that they are all uh, um, uh, uh, stick to, they all stick to a specific version of Kubernetes. They all, they, you have to make sure that all these components are working together holistically. So that's where uh, a managed service like uh, EKS, Amazon so that's EKS come in. EKS comes in. And Correct. So let's say if we take this, um, the containers or EKS into, into our projects, into the pipeline, what are the things that we should think about as a, as a builders or, you know, if we're building the containers, like we can't just be building the application. There are things, a lot of things that they need to think about. And could you share, um, you know, something that developers or engineers should think about when they're building yeah, the containers sure. app? Yes. So when you use Amazon EKS to launch a cluster, you are just getting a plain Kubernetes cluster. So mm -hmm. Amazon EKS definitely helps you to create that cluster. Like it takes care of your entire control plane. It uh, manages the control plane for you, which definitely makes your life easier. So it makes your life easier in installing a cluster. But if you think about it, can you use this cluster to launch your production workloads? Maybe not, because you need to think about day two operations. How are you manage going to manage your cluster? So there are, so probably I will uh, share a quick slide here uh, uh, just for some visualization. Sure. While you're doing that, um, can you talk more about what is day two operations? What does that look like? What does that yes. mean? Yeah. Uh, so day two operations, what I mean by day two operations is uh, um, uh, taking care of uh, managing your container, monitoring, like monitoring or patching or taking backups of your uh, container of your Kubernetes environment or more, collecting all the logs and metrics uh, from your containers and thinking about how you will make this cluster reliable and how you uh, and thinking about how you scale. Yes, Kubernetes will scale the uh, applications of containers for you, but you have to think about how to configure Kubernetes to make that scaling even possible. So, and uh, other thing is security, last but not the least, it's one of the most important factors. How do you make sure that the containers that is running in your Kubernetes environment are secure? So all these are day two operations. Uh, so let me quickly share my screen. Awesome. Yeah, and this is where I guess the, uh, the DevOps folks come in and make sure that uh, you know, it's not just a Kubernetes clusters running, that's it. We're just going to leave it there. Um, rarely it works like that, right? So you've got to make sure that it's maintained. Yeah. Uh, got to make sure that it's scaling properly uh, when there's a spike in traffic. Um, I get a lot of customers talking about how do I scale efficiently? Yes. Um, and 
and, and the question is, are you, are you using the uh, tooling around observability? Are you monitoring your clusters and in your application level monitoring as well? Because you can't blame the Kubernetes cluster for everything. So, you know, it's just, there's a lot of things. Yeah. So uh, I'm here. Uh, sorry, I'm not able to see you folks. Yeah, yeah, I'm back here. So can you see the screen now? So um, as I spoke about, so Amazon EKS is just giving you a Kubernetes cluster. Um, now you have to think about the other day two operations, like as I spoke about before, like how do you monitor and collect metrics for your, uh, your cluster? How do you deploy your applications onto this cluster? How do you make it more reliable and scalable? And how do you secure all the applications running in your cluster? So uh, you need to add uh, these capabilities to your cluster. And these capabilities are called add-ons in Kubernetes. So, um, and if you look at the CNCF cloud map, CNCF is Cloud Native Computing Foundation. They are like an open source society which who, who manages all the open source projects which are key for uh, cloud computing technologies. So, and um, there are so many open source projects out there, like add-ons out there available for you to do all these day two operations. Yes, having choices is good, but sometimes it is overwhelming. So it's too many choices. And how will our customers know which uh, add-ons to pick, how to configure these add-ons. So that's where the complexity comes in. So when if you have, want to have a Kubernetes environment with all the batteries included or, or make it ready for production, you need to think about all these things and add these add-ons and uh, make it robust. Also, if you want to operate your Kubernetes cluster or Kubernetes environment as a platform where you want to uh, support multiple teams, then again, you have to think about multi-team considerations where multiple application teams are deploying their applications onto a single platform. So you need to think about the isolation between the applications. How, do, how are you making sure that one te application team is not stepping onto another application team's resource resources? So there are a lot of multi-team considerations and um, you need to think about when you're using this uh, container um, or Kubernetes cluster as a platform. Last but not the least, uh, you will have multiple environments, right? You have, you'll have a dev environment, test environment, and production environment. So you need to deploy your Kubernetes cluster or Amazon EKS cluster with all the batteries included, with all its, its configurations from a lower, from dev environment to test to production from through all these environments in a automated way. So you're probably using a pipeline. So uh, uh, now, as you said, there will be operations team thinking about or a platform team thinking about all these things. But again, it is work for them. So it's a lot of work doing all this and making your cluster production ready. So. Yeah, so what you're saying is uh, undifferentiating, you're taking away the undifferentiated heavy lifting, right? And so. Exactly, the, the right word. Blueprint. Yes, blueprint scrumming, yes. So I have um, one question from the audience. Sorry to interrupt. Um, there is one question. Tell me more about Gatekeeper. So uh, do you want to go into May? Do, do you want to take that question? Um, yeah. Or yeah, you yeah. can explain more about Kubernetes than I do. <laughs> 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 um, so gatekeeper is, as the word suggests, it's a gatekeeper, right? Um, it is. It controls all the policies that you want to apply uh, to your Kubernetes cluster. For example, organizations will have separate, different security guardrails they want to apply on your Kubernetes platform. So with gatekeeper, they can come up with all these policies and configure all these policies and then deploy as an add-on to your Kubernetes cluster. So how many clusters you spin up uh, if there is a gatekeeper with all the policies defined in it deployed into your cl cluster your cluster will be compliant with all the security guardrails within your organization so that's uh, i uh, put it in a much simple format but it is complex <laughs> and uh, yeah there's a lot of configuration involved um, to get it working yeah awesome thanks for that Angela. Yeah. So 
uh, now um, uh, to, uh, taking you deeper into what EKS Blueprints is and how EKS Blueprints will help you set up a production-ready batteries-included um, environment. So um, EKS Blueprint is nothing but a collection of, it is open source, uh, of course. It is a collection of um, uh, infrastructure as code modules uh, put together um, so that uh, you can use these uh, code modules um, there from, uh, from the open source and then um, build a cluster, which is enterprise production ready Kubernetes cluster. Um, so as I said, it is written in infrastructure as code that comes in two flavors, CDK and Terraform. Uh, CDK is nothing but a cloud development kit. So it is, uh, if you have used Terraform or uh, cloud formation in the past, you might have realized that it's a bit of a declarative format, but CDK helps you write all this infrastructure as code in a programmatic way. So programmers love it because you can, use your programming languages like TypeScript, Node, or Java to write your infrastructure as code uh, uh, script. Now, and also it is it comes with AWS best practices. It's our perspective guidance on how a production-ready Kubernetes cluster should look. So it is uh, it comes with all the AWS best practices. Uh, and uh, it is integrated with uh, some of the open source tooling that I was talking about before, the add-ons. So it uh, comes integrated with some of the most popular add-ons available out there, like uh, um, a cluster, um, metric server and cluster autoscaler or carpenter, et cetera. Um, and it is fully extensible and customizable. Given that it is open source, it is uh, available out there in Git. You can go in, uh, request changes, and make changes, raise a pull request, and uh, get it approved and merged in. So you can always contribute and be appreciated appreciate your contributions to the project. So this is like EKS Blueprints is um, you can use the open source framework to build on, on your EKS cluster, uh, use this framework to have all these best practices infrastructures code together, package it yeah. in. And then if you want to customize it, add more add-ons or customize um, you know, the configurations or your own custom configs in there, you can do that in the, in the blueprints as well. Is that how it works? Yes, that's correct. So Blueprint, it is a template. Um, yeah. So as the name suggests, it is a template. So you use that template and then you can pass in the configuration and it exposes a lot of configurations. Mm -hmm. So you can customize it uh, based on your needs and pass the configurations to the uh, template and make it work based upon your needs. Nice. So I can't um, wait to try it out. Yeah, I have a, a small demo here uh, um, towards the end. Awesome. Yeah. So, so moving on. Um, um, so EKS Blueprints gives you four important functionalities. Uh, cluster manage management, which is obvious. Uh, so EKS Blueprints help you create an Amazon EKS cluster. There are different, I didn't go much deeper into different compute options provided by Amazon EKS. Uh, but if you have questions, we can cover that. Um, so um, with EKS, you can either go with a self-managed node group, like your data plane can be self-managed or uh, Amazon can manage your EC2 instances and data plane for you, which is managed node groups. And then there is a serverless option as well uh, with Amazon EKS, which is Fargate. So you can choose which compute option you want to go with as part of the cluster cluster management configurations. Also, you can specify which VPC you want to launch this cluster on because most in most of the enterprises, when uh, there will be a cloud uh, team uh, managing the provision of AWS accounts and VPCs and everything. So usually disabled AWS accounts comes with existing VPCs and you might want to reuse them, right? So, and there is also, if you don't provide a VPC ID, uh, the Blueprint will create a VPC for you. So that's cluster management. And then there we have got add-on management. Like this is one of the most important features. Like when, where for customers who are confused about which add-on to use and or how to configure them, the Blueprints come with a, a perspective guidance and uh, it comes some of the most popular add-ons. So enabling or disabling the add-on is just like flicking a Boolean in your configuration. So it's as easy as it is. And also you can override the default configuration of your add-ons uh, using the configurations that the add-on module will expose. Then you have got team so management where, uh, yeah. 
Right. Uh, I was going yes. to add um, add to the add-on. So basically, yeah. uh, it helps with uh, not having to write uh, your custom Terraform module or code in order to enable those add-ons, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yes. And also in the demo, I will show you like how easy it is that configuration to just enable an add-on. And then we have got team management, like where, where you want to ma maintain your container platform, um, container as a platform, like you were there, uh, where you want to manage multiple application teams uh, deploying onto your platform. Uh, you need to think about isolation between the application teams and their security and the needs. So that can be managed using a namespace, uh, uh, using name Kubernetes namespaces. So the blueprint will help you create these individual namespaces for your teams and you can manage the roles who have access to that namespace and uh, the capacity for that namespace and all that can be configured by our EKS blueprint. Now, last but not the least, workload management. So you have now you have a Kubernetes uh, platform. How do you deploy your workloads or applications onto that platform? So again, Kubernetes, uh, the EKS blueprints comes uh, with some GitOps tooling options like Argo CD. Uh, Argo CD is an example. So um, uh, okay. Let me explain what GitOps is quickly. So GitOps is a way of uh, using Git as your source of truth for your deployment. So uh, in a Kubernetes context, uh, what Argo CD does is Argo CD is a continuous delivery tool for your Kubernetes uh, um, environment. So it uses GitOps model, which means it relies on a Git repository. And if you want to deploy Kubernetes resources, um, you may, I mean, if you have um, used Kubernetes before, you know you would do it via manifest files, which are nothing but YAML or JSON format files. And you, it's a declarative way of creating all your resources in Kubernetes. And if you commit these manifest files into your Git, Argo CD will immediately look at that configuration changes. It will pick the configuration changes and deploy it into your cluster. So you don't have to think about any other uh, pipeline mechanisms like Jenkins or uh, any other pipeline technology or Bamboo or uh, Team City to deploy these manifest files. Uh, Argo CD is always watching your Git repository and also it is also watching your cluster. So it compares the state of your live running applications in the cluster. There is a sync uh, there. It is things are out of sync. It quickly goes and updates your uh, cluster to a desirable state. So um, again, Blueprints comes with Argo CD uh, add-on bootstrap to it. And if you want to enable it again, flicking a switch in the Boolean and um, there you go. So, and also you can configure your Argo CD to point to a particular Git repository as you like, customize it using configurations. Right. So, so what, I, what I'm getting out of that is that, you know, if you have a Git repo of some sort, uh, if you make a change to uh, the source code or the, the manifest file, it'll automatically uh, create the infrastructure that's required or the changes required, right? Is that is that how I'm understanding it right? Um, uh, sorry, uh, come again, May? Yeah, so um, you have your source repo, a Git mm -hmm. repo. If you make mm -hmm. a change to your manifest file there, It'll mm -hmm. automatically take pick up those changes and it'll deploy the infrastructure that uh, you've asked it to deploy. Uh, Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it will pick up your manifest files and apply that to your Kubernetes cluster. And uh, but you should have robust. So like any other GitOps model, you should have a robust uh, pull request mechanism where people cannot go in and straight away change the main branch. So uh, so developers go via pull request, make their changes so that someone else reviews it and then they merge it. And as soon as the merge happens, it picks up the change and applies it to the cluster. Awesome. Thanks for the explanation. Shall we go to the demo? I know we've only yeah. got 15 minutes left. So. <laughs> yeah. Just before the demo, like uh, if customers out there, if they need our assistance in using EKS Blueprints or setting up their Kubernetes cluster, there are different channels with which you can reach out to AWS. So AWS Professional Services, which I'm part of, is one way of doing it. We um, day in and day out work with our enterprise customers or financial, ranging from financial institutions to retail, where we help them 
uh, do this. And then you have also a group of AWS specialists as well as um, AWS partners um, and also container specialists who do um, uh, from AWS who can help you with this. That's so, really cool. So yeah. uh, multiple channels to to get you know get this project delivers quicker. That's yes. Awesome. Yeah, what are we going to out. see next? Um, are we going yeah. to see a demo or are we going to see something so, else? Uh, my. <laughs> So my plan is just to show you how the Git repos will look like and how the code will look like because we might not have time to, you know, launch the cluster and everything uh, to do a live demo. So I will show you um, the code and how easy it is to configure things. And then there is a workshop link which May and Mai will share afterwards where you can get your hands dirty and try it out. Awesome. I'm going to share a link while you're getting your... Um getting your screen ready yeah, sure yeah yeah so here you can see that um so these are the demo uh, repositories I, I will be using um now so this is the open source uh, github repository where you have got uh, eks blueprints templates so uh, there is as i said before there is a cdk version and a terraform version today i will be demoing or i will be showing you an example of the terraform version and then you have got, um, this is my uh, Terraform module where I will be using um, the uh, code or the modules from the open source uh, EKS blueprints and configuring them or customizing them. So these are different modules within my Terraform workspace. And then um, because I'm using GitOps here uh, to deploy my workload as well as some of the add-ons uh, to a cluster. So this is the difference here. You can use Argo CD in two ways. One is uh, deploying all the add-ons that you need uh, to make uh, for, uh, for operating your cluster. So platform team themselves can use Argo CD to um, make the cluster platform ready to add all the add-ons uh, using Argo CD. And then the workload teams or application teams can also use Argo CD to deploy the actual applications. Because at the end of the day, Kubernetes doesn't differentiate your add-ons or application. They are all applications for Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. But add-ons are predefined applications which uh, provide some capabilities to Kubernetes, while applications are custom applications written by the developers. So, uh, and uh, as I said, Argo CD uses Git repos as source of truth. So I have a, a sample Git repo here, which uh, with a sample gear workload there, uh, which Argo CD is monitoring. And I also have another Git repo where all the add-ons are have uh, the present, uh, or all the features that which I want to uh, add to my Kubernetes cluster are present, and Argo CD is watching that for deployment. So now awesome. let's now before we go into that, can we ask an audience a question? So. Uh, is the audience, is anyone using Terraform or CDK at the moment for, doesn't have That's to be a for a specific question. Yeah. CDK or Terraform? CDK, Terraform. Um, there's no right or wrong answer. So uh, drop in the chat, CDK or Terraform. And we um, definitely don't want to go into a fight or argument about which is better. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about all day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it will be a bloodbath here soon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I used to have, I used to do Terraform uh, like three or four years ago, and that was okay. that was the choice of uh, tool from my yeah. previous yes. job. Um, yeah, and then until I moved to CDK, I've never used CDK before until uh, I joined AWS. It was all Terraform, and then okay. moved to CDK. That was a whole different world for me. Well, <laughs> that was that's my experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, and, there um, are a yeah, few they are two different there. things, and they have got their own. Oh yeah, CDK here. All yeah. Right. <laughs> Terraform, Terraform. There yes, you go. because they, um, yeah, there you go, Team Terraform. <laughs> so yeah, there are pros and cons to both. So, um, but let's yeah. focus on EKS blueprints just now, and probably we can have a separate session for this Terraform versus CDK discussion. It will be interesting. <laughs> All right, let's go back to the blueprints. What do you have? Yeah, sure. So yes, this is a, a sample code here. 
So as you, if you have used Terraform before, you will recognize all these files. So um, the, your main.tf is the entry point for your Terraform uh, uh, infrastructure as code um, application. Then the locals.tf is how you pass in your local uh, variables or configurations, um, variables to your uh, Terraform modules. Then data.tf is how you uh, 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 download or uh, predefined, or uh, if you want to look up things, you, you use data.tf. And then um, outputs is something that if you want to, like after Terraform runs it, it's like similar to cloud formation outputs. If you want to register your outputs and export some of the outputs um, uh, after Terraform creates it. So let me jump into main.tf here. Um, so this is the main module, uh, which is, uh, again, EKS Blueprints itself is written as modules so that um, uh, managing it is easy. So the first module, uh, so here, uh, EKS Blueprint, um, this is the module where I am trying to configure my, um, e uh, my uh, Amazon EKS cluster. So if you remember my previous slide where yeah, EKS Blueprints provides four functionalities, the first one was cluster management, which is configuring your Amazon EKS cluster, the most basic thing. So here, let me show you how you can customize the EKS blueprints and pass on your own uh, variables. So here I'm using the the blue the open source repository, Terraform EKS Blueprint repository as my starting point. So I'm just uh, importing that. And then I'm passing the uh, overriding some of the configurations. For example, cluster name, you can pass in your cluster name uh, through uh, through here. So I have uh, in, lo in my locals.tf, I have a name, so, sorry. I have a name here. So, um, so it's getting that name and then passing it to my, uh, passing it to the blueprints. And then these are the roles. So if you want to access, so as a platform team, you will want to access the cluster. Um, so it helps you create roles in within the cluster. So you again, you can pass in your role configurations here. Then the next one is the most important thing, your compute option. Like with Amazon EKS, as I mentioned before, there are multiple compute options. Like either you can go with Fargate or managed node group or self-managed node group. And this is how you will specify your compute option, which compute option. So if you want here, I have gone with the managed node group option. And within the managed node group option, I'm just specifying what's the name of the node group, what instance type do I want for the data plane, and what is the subnet IDs. There should be somewhere um, where I'm. So Fargate. So in uh, in the in terms of EKS, uh, Fargate is Amazon's serverless way of doing EKS. So uh, here your data plane, uh, you will not see any EC2 instances as part of your data plane because of course it is serverless. So Amazon EKS will manage that for you behind the scenes. And uh, all you have to do is uh, just deploy your applications to a cluster and uh, Amazon will completely manage your compute. So uh, you can uh, think about difference between managed node groups and Fargate. In managed node groups, you will still see uh, EC2 instances in your console, but Amazon is taking care of your patching and everything for of those EC2 instances. But with Fargate, you will not even see them. You will see some Fargate profiles within your Amazon EKS console, and each profile will correspond to the, each pod you are deploying. Right, so it takes away more heavy lifting if you use exactly. Fargate. But yes. obviously there are some limitations. As limitations, well. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the next question will be why Why should I use managed node groups versus Fargate? If Fargate is we're taking away more of the heavy listing. So again, there are limitations. Probably if we go into that, there'll be <laughs> just <laughs> conscious of time. Uh, probably we can share the links afterwards and we will uh, we'll finish uh, the blueprints. So uh, uh, yeah, so this is uh, how you um, uh, specify your compute options. Um, and also you can specify, yeah, there you go, VPC ID. So if you specify a VPC ID here, um, again, I'm creating a VPC here just to show this as an example, and I'm referencing that VPC ID. So I'm going with the assumption that I have an existing VPC. If I do not mention this, then the blueprints will create the VPC for you as well, and then launch your cluster on that VPC. 
So yeah, uh, so that's with, with cluster management. Now going on to the next one is the team management. Like if you want to have multiple teams. So again, this is how easy to configure EKS blueprints for individual teams. So team Rika is one of, is an example of a named team or in terms of Kubernetes, Kubernetes manages that in namespaces. And then, uh, so it will create that namespace for you. It will apply some quotas, which means uh, it will limit how much resource that the specific team is using so that this is just to make sure that the application particular application team is not eating away the resources of another team so uh, to um, um, to limit any accidents <laughs> so um, so you can specify quotas here you can specify your application name you can even create the role for this particular namespace via all these configurations you can also again when you when kubernetes creates this namespace if you want to create certain uh, kubernetes resources inside these namespaces when you start for the first time again you can provide manifest files in a particular format in this directory and it will pick up those manifest files and deploy that into the namespace for you. So this is how you can configure team management. Now moving on to the third functionality, which is add-on management, uh, another important one. Okay, again, I'm uh, in this example, I'm writing it as a separate module so that it is easier to manage. And here, I can, you can see that I'm importing uh, the op open source uh, blueprints and then overriding the configurations. So I'm passing in the cluster ID where I want to add the add-ons. And then this is as easy as this. As I said, this is, okay, I will come back to Argo CD. This is as easy as this so it comes as i said it bootstrap it comes bootstrapped with certain add-ons so if you want to enable or disable an add-on you just have to pass in as a boolean but as i said before but if you want to override the default uh, version like versions of these add-ons or default configurations of this add-on there are configurations exposed and you can override those Right. Um, so I see Carpenter in there so if you wanted to enable Carpenter you just need to override the default configuration yeah so this falls to true carpenter will be deployed to your um, uh, cluster awesome and uh, now yeah a bit of a time check here we've only got yes. four minutes and we definitely okay. don't want to go on so yeah. let's uh, try to wrap it up here yes yeah so i think that's it so we spoke about uh, um, cluster management add-on management and uh, uh, team management and finally workload management which is argo cd so i am enabling argo so to start with i have to enable argo cd in uh, uh, in your uh, in the cluster so enabling argo cd here and if you want to manage argo cd sorry manage your add-ons with argo cd you have to Click this to Boolean. And then if you want to manage Argo CD for your applications, this is how you pass in the configurations. So uh, the, you pass in your Git repositories. Um, so that's in the locals.tf. Um, yeah, there you go. You pass in a link to your Git repository, which Argo CD should watch, and it will deploy it for you. So with that, yes, that's a quick demo of how to use your EKS blueprints. So later we can also share you a link to a workshop and then you can get your hands dirty and try it out. That's that's amazing. So it makes it a lot easier in terms of adding additional things, security, add-ons, um, the cluster management, and all these sort of stuff. So I just share a link in the chat. Um, all the viewers out there want to try EKS Blueprints. Uh, go and go and check it out. If you have any questions on EKS Blueprints and reach out to Anjana, I'm gonna put a LinkedIn a LinkedIn there. So. If you have any questions um, on EKS, just to learn about EKS or even, um, you know, get some advice on the career journey or professional service per se, uh, reach out to Angela on yes. our LinkedIn page. And um, and also, as always, we are we're going to stream monthly and um, again in March. I can't believe it is March. So um, <laughs> stay tuned for that. And we're going to have another sessions in March on the third week of Thursday uh, every month on robotics. So it'll be all about robotics and uh, our next guest will be from AWS as well, another solutions architect. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, we'll be launching our podcast next week. So keep an eye out for all the major podcast platforms out there. So uh, with that, thank you very much for joining us today and we'll see you, you next month and uh, keep on building and let's nerd out with She Builds Tech Skills. Thank See you, you next so time. Much. Thank you, everyone. Yeah.